I'm talking about Steve DeBerg and Joe Montana. Jordan's just like, who are all these old Fs you're talking about? <laughs> Never heard of uh, Steve DeBerg, so it tells me it wasn't much of a quarterback competition there. Steve DeBerg, uh, I say this about Steve DeBerg, other than Bernie, Steve DeBerg and Bernie Kosar, maybe the two toughest quarterbacks uh, in NFL. Those, two, those were two in NFL history. Other than the dudes like Bobby Lane that played without face masks, <laughs> Steve DeBerg and uh, and Bernie Kosar were were friggin' tough as hell. Um, yes, it's only an hour, Jeff, out Jordan Scruggs. Signing day eve, but Jordan, let me reiterate again at the risk of boring our audience. Don't expect anything big coming from the 40 acres tomorrow. If you are, then you haven't been you, you haven't been at Horns 24-7 because Jordan and Hank have been pretty much laying out the story for the class of 2024. It's done. Jordan's already on it. Jordan's been on to 2025 for a couple weeks now. So not a whole lot going on for 20. The, the only thing really we're watching in state, Jordan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We're just kind of waiting to see if Terry Bussey's going to end up at A&M or LSU. That, that's, I don't really know of anything going on other than that. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the, there's a few things that could go on in, in the next 24 to 48 hours that would affect Texas's like, uh, opponents. Um, but, I mean, none to the degree that Terry Bussey's decision will. Uh, that, that, that's definitely the most important thing that we're watching over these next uh, next day or two. Um, the period is just like the uh, the early signing day period where it's going to roll from Wednesday through Friday at midnight. Um, so Terry Bussey, he won't have to make a decision today. He won't have to wait till tomorrow. You know, he could wait all the way till Friday if he wants. So uh, really interested to see how that shakes up. Um, I love the recruitments like this where, you know, the school you cover isn't involved at all. So <laughs> you can kind of just... I guess, you know, be like a subscriber or a fan or whatnot and just, you know, follow along like uh, like the rest of us. Um, and I enjoy that. It's a lot less stressful. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where Terry ends up because I haven't been paying any attention. I have no intel. So I'll oh, be man. just as uh, surprised as the other fans that see it. But if you're if you're Tarp and Peroni and, and Hats over at the A&M site or you're Sonny and Glenn over at LSU, man, it is uh, – Dude, all those guys, they you probably couldn't get a nail up anyone's south end with a jackhammer right now. The, the pucker factor is is real. And and you know, from from being on some of these recruitments, uh, I can tell you there is no time more than now where you really have to trust your sources because you have no other option at this point and hope that your intel is right. Because you can you can serve Jordan, you're in this seat now. You can survive if you get a recruitment wrong or you paint the picture wrong or you get, you know, there's you're missing a kernel of truth here or there. You can get away with that maybe covering a recruitment in July. Dude, you miss you miss something bad on yeah. signing day. That's like um the kiss that's like death. getting to the altar and forgetting your vows, man. That's that's uh that's almost an unpardonable sin in this business for your intel to just be wrong. So that's more it than anything. It's not so much the decision. It's like, man, do I really trust my sources on this one? Yeah. Yeah. And uh I mean, I I don't know. Um I, I it was kind of interesting how how Georgia um they they got Terry on OV or it looked like they were gonna get Terry on an OV. He OV'd like either not this past week and I think the weekend before and they're just out of it now. Um, so maybe he had a bad experience on uh, on the official visit to uh, to Athens. Uh, I saw Coach Four Twenty said 
Scruggs House Texas sitting with KJ Ford from Duncanville. Um, I think they're in a good spot. Um, they, it, it's funny. Him and Colin Simmons had like really similar, uh, I, I guess you want to call like recruiting timelines. How, you know, they didn't, no one really saw them during their freshman seasons because, um, you know, they weren't on varsity. It's Duncanville. But, you know, you hear from the grapevine when there are, when there's a top 50 edge rusher, you know, coming up, you you hear about it. So, you know, we we hear about this kid and we're all looking forward to seeing him play. And he shows up to the Duncanville spring game. And, I mean, he looks like a zillion bucks, plays like a zillion bucks and gets immediately the stamp of approval from everyone. that He's the, the next big thing to come through Duncanville. Um, and then as the season went on, he was picking up offers pretty much every week, just like how Colin did. Um, except Colin got his Texas offer, I believe, after the end of the of his uh, sophomore season. Where whereas KJ Ford got it during the during his sophomore season. I remember Jeff Banks and Sark went out to go see uh, Duncanville play. I believe they're playing Mansfield or Mansfield Lakeridge. I just remember Mike Roach was at that game, and uh, KJ Ford had a great game. Got offered afterwards, um, and then there's also a 2026 kind of uh, receiving tight end so that's jumbo receiver. Um, I might be blanking on his last name, but I'm pretty sure Kendrick Turner. He's number nine. Um, Texas also offered him. He had three touchdowns that game that uh, Banks and Sark actually went out to go see him. So uh, the 26th class of Duncanville is strong, just like all their other classes. And uh, as far as yeah, as, as far as Texas with KJ Ford, um, I know he was supposed to get down. He was scheduled to come down for two different games this year, and then Duncanville would be in the playoffs the next day, and it wouldn't be able to happen. So. Uh, he wasn't able to make any games. Um, he told me he was originally coming for the junior day. Uh, now that I think about it, I never saw him there and forgot to check back in with, you know, if he made it. There's so many kids there you kind of, you know, forget sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think Texas is in a good spot. There's a long way to go there. Uh, he's taking a lot of visits for the first time right now. Um, and he's – it seems like he's a part of uh, this program from California called California Power. Um, where it's a seven-on-seven seven program. They also do offensive line and D-line. And, I mean, the the gist of it pretty much is, you know, this, this program in California, they go after the top-rated kids, the top offers, and say, hey, you know, we will take you on visits everywhere. We'll take you to every seven-on-seven seven tournament. We just ask whenever, you know, it, it's time to come around that you're going to let us do your NIL. And that's how California Power makes its money, and that's how they've kind of assembled one of the top programs in the country is by, you know, exchanging, you know, you'll go on visits for free, get recruiting exposure for free, as long as when it comes time, you know, for NIL, you're going to let us help you out um, so we can make some money. And uh, last weekend, before the dead period closed on Monday, I saw KJ Ford was at USC. I uh, also believe he went to UCLA. Um, and I know he's with the California Power Program this past weekend. So um, he, he's going to take a bunch of visits as long as he's affiliated with them. So, as long as Texas can keep getting them back, uh, you know, at least a couple times a year, then that's good. And also, you know, um, Colin Simmons, I think, playing as a freshman and getting freshman playing time will help them with uh, with KJ Ford. And just, you know, keeping Colin Simmons happy, um, making sure, you know, he's yeah. sending good vibes to, uh, to KJ, you know, about why he should want to come there as well. So um, that I guess that's uh, the KJ Ford update. Man, I forgot to tell you this yesterday when we talked. There, uh, there was something funny. I forgot what I was reading it either on YouTube comments, something, or maybe it was Twitter comments. But I saw 
it was a kid that oh, I, I forgot who the kid was. Yeah, it's just some great story. But anyway, it was like people are assuming that, you know, Texas or Ohio State, oh, yeah, one of these schools is going to pay. I saw a USC fan in the comments saying, well, USC doesn't do pay for play. So they wouldn't they wouldn't stoop to that level. I'm like, dude, have you forgotten like all the NIL deals that like Jordan Addison or Mario Williams or all those dudes, the first NIL cycle, what all the guys were promised now? You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jordan. I think there was some stuff that maybe some of the USC collectives, they kind of over-promised, under-delivered on some of that stuff. But yeah. hey, don't, don't sit there and tell me. USC, uh, some USC fan with a straight face probably said, yeah, USC won't do pay-for-play. Like, come on. That just means you ain't got the you ain't got the the, the, the cash to, to be in the game with Texas and Ohio State and Georgia. Yeah, that was like, I remember, dude, and that first... It was like when I first started at the Baylor site. It would have been like June of 2022. I'm uh I'm at dinner with my, my mom and stepdad. My my stepdad is a Texas fan, and I'm kind of telling him the behind the scenes of you know what's what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And Texas doesn't do that. <laughs> Texas doesn't do that. Like they they're not they're not out there like Alabama or Georgia, you know, breaking rules. And I was literally just like, okay. You know, like I'm not, I'm not gonna have this. <laughs> I'm not gonna win this. <laughs> but like, come, come, come the fuck on. Like, the rules on. have changed, man. The yeah. rules have changed. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Like, if you I, ain't cheating, you ain't trying. I, I heard. Well, it's not even that. Like, it's, it's it's not even cheating. Like that's what I said about A and M last year. Like people were, or I guess in the 22 class, people were pissed off. They're like, oh man, A and M bought this class. I'm like, so. It, it, uh, you're you're faulting you're faulting a bunch of rich people for deciding how they wanted to spend their money that according to nil legislation which those laws were written vaguely for a reason it's fair game so i don't i don't blame anybody for for dropping bags or uh i man I, i know it's an old interview but i was scrolling through like some facebook reels or youtube shorts it was one or the other and it had a clip of an interview Dion did with uh, Joel Klatt. And Dion was like, NIL is not the problem. Collectives are the problem. I'm like, is Dion Sanders really going to sit there and badmouth collectives in this whole process? When, like, come on, you really expect us to think Travis Hunter didn't get something for going to Jackson State? Like, come on. Like, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Yeah. Like, this is like, listen. Let's just, if, if everybody was just real about it, Jordan, like I think people would have a better time processing it. But we're people still want to throw up this veil of amateurism or like, oh man, NIL and collectives are ruining college football. It's all about the money. Dude, college football's been about the money for decades now. That's how we yeah. got into this place in the first place. So I don't know. There's just, just my little side tangent for today. Yeah, and no, I mean, I don't know. I thought about it. I feel like with the, with the NCAA, um, and how slow they are to move their feet. Like the, I feel like the way this all gets sped up the fastest with just regulations happening, you know, rules, I guess, getting stricter, anything like that. Just NIL is a whole being more organized. I feel like that gets sped up if the, or the day we get a G5 coach name drop a power five program slash coach or coaches that are trying to tamper his players. Yeah. Like something that is that much of like a call to action, like national news, that type of thing, where the NCAA yeah. is like, okay, we have to do our jobs now. The whole world is watching. 
you talking like if uh like I would love Jeff Trailer to come out and be like, I don't know, for example, uh Brent Venables. You know, you keep trying to steal the pride of the east side, David Amador from me. Uh, <laughs> you know. Trailer needs North Source finest more than Venables does, but Venables came with 150, something like that. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's uh, it'd be like if, if Scotty Walden at UTEP stood up there and came with receipts, like, yeah, I've got coach so and so fill in the blank school, texting my kids, and you know, it, it, I, that's what's gonna, that's what it would take, Jordan. I don't think it would take even, uh, you know, standing up for saying. I'm, I'm saying it would take one of those G5 coaches like bring some receipts. And unless it's Biff Pogey at Charlotte, which nobody's going to take that guy seriously. So, uh, yeah, it would take one of those G5 coaches. I, I'm with you to really have some receipts like, hey, if y'all are alleging tampering, like come with. I always said that about when I when I first started covering Texas, I would have, you know, they weren't like high level boosters, but I would have donors and stuff come to me and being like, hey, do you know what LSU's doing to get this kid or what Oklahoma's doing to get this kid? You know, you should report on this. I'm like, all right. Give me, give me some proof. Give me some proof. And shockingly, the proof never showed up. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, it's, I don't know. The, the same stuff kind of goes on with, like, when coaches want you to report stuff that other coaching staffs are doing. And it's like, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not how this works. <laughs> because y'all do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's got blood on their hands. Oh, dude, there is. Uh, it's the Spider Man meme where they're all pointing. Yeah, I heard. Uh, I think it was when this was probably 10 years ago when uh, street agents were a big thing in recruiting. And I remember I was at the THSCA convention one year. I think Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury just got in the tech job. It was, his, it was going into his first year at tech. And he was asked about third parties. And somebody asked him if he would turn a coach in and he just kind of laughed and goes, Hey man, there is no honor amongst thieves. And I'm like, if more coaches would just be honest like that, just be like, we're all doing it. Just some of us do it better than others or have access to more resources than others. Like it's happening everywhere. So, yeah. You know, I remember when Mac, Mac got on his high horse and like wanted to, you know, was like calling up Gary Patterson and Art Bryles and telling them, you know, Hey, this isn't right what you're doing and, you know, going through third parties and then Mac went and hired Larry Porter. So I'm like, yeah, it's Mac knows what's going on. And he's, he's trying. Well, to, tell me, tell me about Larry Porter. Guy. I don't, that name isn't familiar. Larry Porter, uh, Larry Porter was at, uh, LSU when Les Miles was there and Larry Porter had a reputation that some SEC coaches have of maybe not doing everything above board, a lot of stuff. It's alleged and it's hearsay, but, Larry Porter was one of those guys that, you know, you know, Jordan, there's certain coaches that if you hire them on your staff, it's like, all right, I kind of know what that guy's all about. Um, Larry Porter was one of those guys. And, uh, you know, that tech, that Texas staff, you know, Mac staff at the end, just they didn't like a lot of the stuff that TCU was doing, especially a lot of stuff that Baylor was doing under Art Bryles. But then Mac hired Larry Porter. That's how, like, that whole deal between like the football banquet and when Steve Patterson was supposed to fire Mac when they were, you know, when they were going to push Mac out and Mac kept delaying the meeting. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons he started was he was out recruiting. There's that shot of him, uh, him and Larry Porter out at Miami central. 
and there's no lights on the practice field. So they're leaned up on a car and all the cars have the headlights on so they can still see. Um, it's Mac and Larry Porter watching Dalvin Cook practice. And I'm like, dude, Mac is on that practice field knowing damn well he ain't got a chance in hell to, to get Dalvin Cook. Now, everybody got to do what the deal with Dalvin Cook's recruitment was. But yeah, Larry Porter was one of those guys that he he had. A, I, you know what? I'm going to look that up. I don't know where Larry Porter is right now. You got you got something coming in on the on the bat phone, Jordan? Yeah. Um, former, per 24-7 sports magazine, is former Texas A&M and LSU cornerback Devin, Denver Harris has joined the team at UTSA. Speaking of the east side and UTSA, uh, it, interesting. Got to be his last chance, right? Yeah. It's got to be. And if, uh, if Joe Price isn't on staff at UTSA, I highly doubt Denver Harris. I'm, I, I highly doubt I would be reading that out right now. True. Um, yeah. So, Joe, he should be thanking Joe Price more than anything. If you don't know who Joe Price is, he's actually the receivers coach at UTSA from North Shore, coach at North Shore. Um, you know, has worked his way up over the years and uh, has been as crucial a part as anybody um, to building UTSA outside of Jeff Trailer. So, um, you know, hopefully Denver can figure it out between the years because uh, he has everything you can coach in a player and just God-given ability that, you know, I'll be honest, you only see in a couple kids um, every few years. So, uh, you know, it's always sad when when you see a talent uh, as good as his kind of wasted or I don't want to say wasted, but he has made some very poor choices. Um, yeah. You know, you want to see him turn it around and I, I hope that's what happens. So good for him and wishing him the best. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten about this, but Larry Porter is he's on Mac Brown's staff in North Carolina. So that's where that's oh. what Larry Porter's doing right now. Um, <laughs> hey, let me get we didn't talk about this yesterday because this came out after our show was over. Do you have any thoughts one way or the other on the decision made? Uh and in the interest of full disclosure, 24-7 sports is the selection partner for the All-American Bowl. But the All-American Bowl announces yesterday, and Andrew Ivans has a story up at 24-7 Sports, if you want to go read more on it that they're going to allow juniors to play in the All-American Bowl starting in 2025. You got thoughts on that one way or the other, Jordan? Because I I, I think that the All-American Bowl, look, let's be honest, man. You don't, with all due respect to some high school seniors that, you know, could use maybe some of the exposure or whatever. I know for some programs you'd like to get guys in that game because it's more visibility on your program. It certainly doesn't hurt. You can argue whether how much it helps, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, you, you need some big names in that game. And I think part of it is, you know, now you've got guys, I, I do think this is real. You've got guys enrolling early and maybe want to opt out of that game. The senior bowls dealing with the same stuff. The senior bowls now allowing underclassmen to, to play in that game. So uh, I think it's just to me, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's just adapting the times. I don't know if you had a take on it one way or the other though. Um, yeah, I mean, my uh, I actually talked to a few people about this yesterday after the news broke. Um, I like it just because, man, with, with with the way this game is going, um, like, for example, this year, I think there were uh, like 12 opt-outs. Um, hey, was there that of, many? Something like that. One of them was Brandon Baker. Um, one of them was Rayola. One of them was Julian Sand. Um I can't remember others off the top of my head, but like 
we only had one player in the top 10 there in San Antonio. When originally, like, six of them had committed to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like they're all at Under Armour. It's just they were, like, schools, you can now, um, if you get your school done time, you can now, uh, you know, go to school early and do bowl prep, bowl practices as a, you know, you're supposed to be a senior in high school. You're 18 years old, right? Yeah. And these guys go and practice for a week or two, and then this, the All-American Bowl rolls around in San Antonio, and it's like, hey, I want to go to that. And the colleges are usually like, no, <laughs> that's it. You're already here. Like, we're not going to go get you hurt and then come back for bowl prep. Like, we're not doing that. So you're missing a bunch of people. Um, and because of that, you got to fill in. And, you know, the uh, – I mean, I don't know. The talent amount isn't going to be the same. Whenever you got to replace, you know, top ten players in the country with Minnesota commits or local kids in Texas yeah. um, that you just know can get to San Antonio to be at practice tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so w- w- incorporating juniors, it's not, it's not like it's going to be all juniors or all seniors. I think it's going to be a good blend of both. Um, I like it. It brings a lot more value uh, to us as as reporters at this game um, because traditionally, at least in the last few years, because of uh, early signing day, you know, there's no scoop, no news really floating around the week of the All-American Bowl just because, you know, pretty much everyone's committed and signed by then. Um, And if you aren't, it's because you signed already and you're just not revealing where you signed until you pick a hat on MPC during the game, but everyone knows where they're going already. Yeah. so bringing juniors in, I like it a lot. Uh, you know, I'd love to see a guy like DeCorian Moore or a guy like Khalid Lockett or Devin Sanchez. I'd love to see one of those guys, you know, go up against, uh, I don't know, a uh, great 26. Or vice, Jakeem Stewart. He's like our number four player in Louisiana. D-lineman. I'd love to see him go up against Lamar Brown. Also uh, a yeah. top line of scrimmage recruit in 26. Also like from this, Louisiana. If you had that at this year's game, what if you look up in wide receiver DB one-on-ones and it's Devin Sanchez covering yeah. Ryan Wingo? or yeah. Devin Decorian Sanchez, Moore. Jeremiah Smith. Yeah, DeCorian Moore going up against Kobe Black. You know, yeah. It, it's, I, I think you almost, you almost have to treat it uh, kind of how the NFL used to treat the Pro Bowl. I think mm-hmm. you, you give – if you're an opt-out, like you know you're not going to play in the game. Like you're a 25, you know you're, you're not going to play in the game. You, you Either you don't want to, you don't want to get hurt or whatever before you enroll. You know, do the whole deal where you can uh, – you know, you get your jersey, you do the jersey presentation. You know, they might – treat it like a guy who's injured. You know, fly him into San Antonio like the day before the game. That way they get introduced. They can, you know, do the little hat tip or whatever. But bring in a, a healthy body that can play in the game because let's be honest, man – you don't want the quality of your game to slip at some point, at some point it becomes, I don't want to demean anybody, but at some point it becomes a a safety concern. If you've got guys of a certain caliber on the field with guys who aren't a certain caliber, it is a safety hazard at some point. But I also think too, I don't want to see happen to these all-star games. What happened to the Texas high school coach association game. That game used to be, it used to be the game, like anybody who was anybody in the state of Texas played in that game. And then what happened, this probably would have been about 2007 or eight as that at that time, Jordan, it was the phenomenon of guys not waiting until August to enroll. It was summer enrollment was something that hadn't happened before. So guys could get there, go through summer conditioning and then be ready for fall practice. Guys started opting out of that game to the point where, you know, the last year they had it, Adrian Colbert had signed with Texas 
and he was in the game and he might have been one of about three or four guys that were going to power five schools at that point. Like it was, it had gotten to be slim pickings. Cause where would they was, play the game at? Wherever the convention was. So like if it's in San Antonio, they do it at the Alamo dome. Uh, and they would just do it in the summer. Yeah. In the middle of the summer, which again, before guys started enrolling during the summer, it wasn't that big of a deal, but as more guys enrolled during the that's summer. So that's so interesting to me. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Because it's been gone for, yeah over a decade now like it's yeah. just one of those deals that you look forward to every time i mean the last big one i remember was the 2000 i guess it would have been a 2005 game and colt mccoy's or michael finley jamal charles they were all in that game and then you could just start slowly seeing after that like just the quality of prospect just wasn't as good and i remember the last year i remember when i realized okay something's wrong with this game uh, they played it at DKR, and Texas had a few signees in that game. That was like Chris Whaley, Greg Timmons. I'm trying to remember. There's a couple other guys in that 09 class. Like, none of those guys played. They like, pretty much just all got the jersey and got introduced and then just stood on the sidelines. So I'm like, yeah, the uh, somebody needs to take another look at this because something's, something's not right here. And then eventually that game ended up going away. So, um, yeah. But a lot of that had to do with the recruiting rules, too, because the THSEA had to make a decision because they changed where coaches couldn't speak at conventions where like prospective student athletes still were. It's like mm. an all-star game. You'd had guys who were walk on somewhere. Technically they're still a recruitable athlete. So they had to make a decision. Do we either want the college coaches to come do clinics here or do we want to have the all-star game? And they made the decision to fold the all-star games. Yeah. I don't blame them. Um, college sells probably a lot more tickets, college coaches. Um, but for bringing for bringing juniors into the game, I think I think uh, eventually at some point it's going to be only juniors. Um, Probably, yeah. I just think that's where things are trending, and also like, dude, we were missing like 12, 15 ish kids from opt outs last year. Mm-hmm. There are four teams in the college football playoff last year. Next year there will be twelve, right? Yeah. All 12 of those schools are going to want their freshmen that early enrollees on campus in mid-December, you know, busting ass, going through practice. They're not going to want to fly them to San Antonio two weeks after that. So I would be – I wouldn't be surprised at all if the 26s outnumber the 25s even in this upcoming game. Well, I think, too, you know, if you're a 2026 recruit, regardless of whether or not the commitment sticks, to be able to – to make your commitment, you know, in, in January, early January of your junior year on NBC, on national television, uh, that's got to, that's going to be a draw for some guys. I think, you know, there's, there's so much of it, Jordan. Again, that's another thing with the early signing period. You know, I don't, again, I don't know if my coworkers or the higher ups will like me saying this, but. So you got to make those declarations mean something. That's been a big part of that game. And it's not that guys aren't ready to make a decision, but if, if 90% of the guys in your game are signed, you, you know, you've got to have at least some people, you know, making commitments that matter to give people a reason to watch the game. So I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's just, it's just part of the deal, man. I, I, people, I know people overreacted and there was even a little bit of pearl clutching, but dude, it's, it's part of the deal, man. Either either get with it or, you know, I don't know, just continue thinking that 
there this Pollyanna exists where college football is like it was in the 1960s where there's just good-hearted kids that want to go where play for the name on the front of the jersey. It ain't like that, and it ain't been like that for a long time. Yeah. You know, it's surprising enough, not all these kids, you know, grew up wanting to go to Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, you might have, you know, you'll get – if Texas signs a class, and I'd say this for A&M or Oklahoma too, if those schools sign a class of 25, you'd probably have two or three that would have, you know, crawled on their hands and knees on broken glass to Austin or Norman or College Station to get that offer and would have committed. But that percentage is, like you said, it's not as big as some people want to believe it is. Yeah. I mean, no, not, not as big as like the percentage with tech in ut or yeah i don't know whatnot well, I mean, besides micah <laughs> you know sark sark would would much rather sell you know if i'm a wide receiver prospect it's much easier for sark to sell xavier worthy and adnan mitchell than it is to talk about jordan shipley or Quan cosby or roy williams because some yeah. of these guys don't you're getting to the point where the recruits and the age difference, some of these guys don't remember. And Quan's as visible as any alum who was a player. No, these guys don't remember. No, no. The, the, these, no, none, none of these kids know who Quan Cosby is. With yeah. all due respect to Quan. And I know this. I know this because, um, so, I mean, you know, I've talked about my uh, affiliation with Juice. And um, I can't remember if I've told you who actually happens to be the person who calls the defense, but uh, it's actually Michael Griffin. Oh, uh, really? Former, yeah, former Texas Longhorn. Because um, his son is on our 15U. His, his son's actually a 2026 DB, at least Travis, named uh, Braylon Griffin. But uh, Griff... <laughs> calls the defense and i remember last year he only did 15u last year this year he did 15 and 18 but last year he the 15u team had just lost and he was chewing their asses out and uh i noticed you know there's a few kids not really like paying attention and you know i'm not the type of dude to like slap on the back of the head and be like listen or whatever but now i wait till griff is done talking and walks away or whatever and uh i walk up to the kids i'm like you know who that you know who that is talking to y'all and they were like yeah that's Braylon's daddy and I was like that is Braylon's daddy do you know who Braylon's daddy is and they're like no and I'm like that's Michael Griffin they're like we don't know who that is and I was like Jesus Christ I was like he won a national championship at Texas like any accolade you could want he's got it first rounder played in the league like a decade pro bowler all pro yeah has cupcake shop like all, all you could want and they were like, oh, okay. And since then, they all started looking at him way differently. But, like, even they didn't know who he was. And that was, like, the sixth of seven tournaments last year. <laughs> you know, uh, that's and it's, a, it's like he's in great shape. You don't, like, nothing goes through your head that, like, this guy isn't maybe a pro athlete. Yeah. Was. Uh, Mike kind of went through one of those at DeSoto. This was a couple cycles ago. B.J. Johnson's son was a player at DeSoto. I think he signed with Abilene Christian. And Mike was talking to son and Mike was like, do you, do you know how good your dad was back in the day? He's like, why don't my dad play a little ball? He's like, your dad was the number one recruit in the country. 
like Texas fans were losing their minds when your dad went there, and his son was just like, he's just dad. I mean, he never, it, it didn't it didn't register, but yeah, you you know the the tradition at Texas, it's still there. It'll always be there, but you know, it's it doesn't. And, and I could say the same. I'm not saying anything that I wouldn't say about A and M or LSU or Oklahoma. Pick your program. It's just. It's all about the here and now. It's it's funny, Jordan, how now that Texas is winning games, it, it, the, the, you're you're drawn to a much higher caliber of recruit is drawn to you that wasn't drawn to you, you know. Yeah, and years. a a much larger number of those high caliber recruits are yeah. drawn to you. Yeah. Um, I mean, dude, even Hank and I, like, we've had this talk multiple times um, in the uh, about. Wow, it's been eight and a half-ish months since we've been working together. Um, and it's like, dude, Hank and I are going to have to be communicating a lot these next few months about different guys committing. Because right now, uh, there are only so many spots in Texas, and the number of 2025s that would like to continue their football playing career at the University of Texas greatly outweighs the number of kids that Texas is going to be able to take. So... You know, Hank and I have a hard task on our hands on, you know, deciphering through all the different cryptic stuff and stuff yeah. that changes each day to figure out, you know, who's who's who and all that. Hey, let me ask you Where something is, on that front. Uh, yeah, go ahead. What, what's that? No, did you have something you wanted to get to that was poignant? I was just going to ask BJ Johnson, what high school was he? South Grand Prairie. Okay. SGP is a class of 2000. Him, him, Roy Williams, and Sloan Thomas were in the same class. Uh, yeah. And and you don't you don't get those guys without Chris Sims and I've said it before, man. The the talent Sark is stacking right now reminds me of the talent Mac was stacking uh, back at that point in the late nineties and early two thousands. But what you're just talking about with numbers, like we know the initial counter rules, the, there are no more initial counter limits, but you still got to make sure you're under the eighty, you're at or under the eighty five. What does that do for a guy like Ricky Stewart? Because like running, there's no shortage of good running backs, and you know, Ricky Stewart's one of the guys that you know I've actually seen a little bit of tape of. Uh, and I really like his game. I, I, really good player for Chapel Hill. But is that a deal where you could move off of him? Or you think Ricky uh, Ricky Stewart's the guy that, you know, Tashard Choice is, does his own evaluations and he's going after some big fish. But for that second back, it's kind of been like he's kind of done his own thing. Like Christian Clark was a guy that he zeroed on in really early in the 24 cycle and ended up getting him. Is, is Ricky Stewart just the guy that, man, Tashard Choice has just decided, hey, you're you're my guy and, you know, he's going to recruit Ricky Stewart? Or you think it's going to be one of those deals where if a decision not made, Texas might look in another direction at some point? Because like I said, there is, there's no shortage of quality running backs that want to play at Texas. Yeah. Um, honestly, this is like one of six recruits that I, I can't really answer too well just because that, that has all been Hank in mind completely. I mean, you know, we kind of split up the recruitments, but yeah. with the, I can't say, I guess, what I know with uh, with Rick. Um, I mean, was committed to SMU. When him and Demetrius Brisbane first committed, we knew that wasn't lasting because um, we knew yeah. Keenan Hall wouldn't be at SMU two years from then. Uh, he was too good of a coach and recruiter to not get another job. That's what happened. He's at Baylor now. Demetrius Brisbane flips to Baylor. Uh, he did that last week, uh, whereas Ricky Stewart just decommitted from SMU and he hasn't announced any intentions or any plans or anything of what he plans to do. So uh, some Texas crystal ball picks went in. Uh, again, that was, uh, you know, Hank and Mike. They're they're on that one, covering that one. 
Um, and, you know, I'm obviously whatever they're writing or putting out, I'm going to agree with. I trust them. Yeah. Um, but just me, myself, I haven't been covering that story. I, I've been working on other ones. But with, with the number two, um, the number two running back spot and even the number one spot, uh, you know, Jordan Davis, you know, everyone at this point is heavily under the assumption he's going to be RB1 in the class. Um, so RB2, you know, that's basically down to guys like Riley Wormley, Tiger Ryden, uh, James Simon, uh, Ricky Stewart, guys like that. Um, and, you know, I, I I need to hit up Mike and, and Hank to ask, you know, because I never asked him. There are different types of crystal balls to go in. We all know yeah. this, right? There's the committing in an hour crystal ball. There's the there's no way this kid doesn't end up at Texas three years from now, crystal ball or whatever, that type of stuff. I just think, from my point of view, um, if you look at those four names I mentioned of Wormley, Tiger Ride, and James Simon and Ricky Stewart, they probably would have to do the least amount of work to get Ricky Stewart over the finish line from where all four of those recruitments currently stand, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And and honestly, man, if you're Tashard Choice and you're Sark, if the evaluations are close enough, it could be a deal where like, and I'm not saying this is the case by any means, so nobody take me what I'm saying is, I'm being transparent, tell you what the Texas staff is thinking, but I've been doing this long enough to feel like that staff probably feels like, Hey, these four guys are close enough. Well, you know, we'll, we got no problem taking any of the four, whoever basically kind of whoever commits first gets the spot and we'll, we'll roll with it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you, you can kind of do that nowadays, uh, especially yeah. with the portal. Because if you don't work out, you can ship his ass out of there in a few months. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. Running back's one of those positions, too, uh, that we're seeing. It, it's kind of worked for Texas. You know, they have they was Bijan a workhorse? Yeah, but Roshan still got touches um, yeah. while Bijan was there, which is, I think, helped help keep some of the tread on Bijan's tires as he's gotten into the league. And I think guys see that. But last year, I think we got a taste of it, you know, when Jonathan Brooks became the workhorse and then he got hurt. Like I said, I mean, C.J. Baxter had a 100-yard game. Jaden Blue had a 100-yard game after that. Uh, damn, Savion Red almost had 100 yards against Tech. So you got to see, I mean, hell, and I I still, as, as impactful as Trey Wisner was just sacrificing his body on special teams and just how hard he ran against Texas Tech, how hard he ran whenever he did get carries, I'm not ready to give up on Trey Wisner by any stretch, man. The the running back depth at Texas is as good as it's been in a long time, top to bottom. I mean, I don't know. I was going to say it honestly might be the strongest room on campus, but I don't mm. know. Um, I kind of want to go like O-line. Over that, I feel like O-line is just so safe. You're returning four starters. Yeah, pro probably in terms of proven commodities. Yeah, but in terms of depth, dude, you might be right. Like, because we know we know more about Baxter and Blue and Red and even Wisner and Christian Clark and Jared Gibson are both on campus right now. I feel like we know more about the unproven commodities at running back than we do about like. Uh, a Jaden Chapman or uh, a Peyton Kirkland, like pick your young offensive lineman that we really haven't seen yet. Um, 
it might be offensive line, but the fact that compared to a year ago where we were where I was thinking about the running back position, I'm not gonna throw you in there, Jordan. I'm not gonna throw you into my ideas or how I view the roster. But how I was viewing the running back position where you know, if you looked at pro football focus, there were some indicators that Jonathan Brooks, like, hey, if he just gets more snaps, you give him more carries, he's going to be this level of productive. We didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't. I mean, I didn't, there was no way I could guarantee he was going to be an 1100 yard back if yeah. he got enough touches. Um, but now, I mean, I I feel really good about that running back room. And that's a testament to Sark and to Shard Choice. And dude, I mean, I, I don't. It's it's. I think Texas has running back figured out about as well as you do because if one of those guys emerges as a workhorse, great. If you've got to use, you know, two or three to get through a year, which you're probably going to have to anyway, you've got some really good options. It's not the fact that the best thing I can say about the Texas running back room. There were there there have been seasons where. And I think even 22 might have been like this. Like if Texas had lost Bijan Robinson in game nine to a season-ending injury, dude, the running game might have collapsed. But it, but you know, it didn't. That didn't happen with Jonathan Brooks. They just kept on, they kept on keeping on. And and I mean, now that I think about it, if you think about back to 21, and I think this just shows you uh, kind of Sark's ability to scheme up the run game and the job Kyle Flood's done up front. You go back to 21. When Bijan got hurt, he had that forearm injury against Kansas. Mm-hmm. Well, after that, Roshan had that big game against K State. Keelan Robinson had a hundred yard game. So, I just think, man, it's Texas can run the ball. I just don't think you're going to see it ever a Steve Sarkeesian run game be where they're going to run it 45, 50 times a game, but they'll yeah. run it successfully. Yeah, um, and, and and it was funny, uh, but before the season, this. <laughs> This would have been at the end of June. Uh, I went and got uh, an early breakfast with the source. Um, and, you know, it was a long breakfast. But one of the talking points we had talked about was, you know, who do you think is, do you think Sark's going to continue the streak of having a thousand yard rusher? I remember before I could finish the question, the source said, yes, Jonathan Brooks. <laughs> um, and this was like June 20th, 21st, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. And the person continued on and said, like, as long as Sark is here in coaching, he wants to have a thousand yard rusher. So, yeah. Um, you know, interested to see who that's going to be. Uh, you know, you assume CJ, but also you can't count out Jaden Blue either. So, really interested to see how it shakes out in the spring. And uh, I'm excited to get out there in the spring to, to see those guys and also the freshman class. I felt like I really felt like towards the end of the year that Iowa State game was one where CJ Baxter grew up a lot in that game. And mainly oh, because yeah. he had to. Yeah. But he, did. he I felt like CJ Baxter, that was kind of a coming of age moment where dude, you you know you're gonna have to run the football against Iowa State a certain way to win that game. That's just that John Haycock defense, you you have to run the ball a certain way against that that flyover defense, that inverted Tampa 2 defense. And and it's going to be quick, it's going to be downhill, and it's going to be physical between the tackles. And I felt like C.J. Baxter grew up. And the one thing Jaden Blue showed, I really thought got better with him, Jordan, as the year went on, his patience got better. Like There were times earlier in the year, I want to say it was the Wyoming game maybe, where he caught a screen pass and probably would have scored, 
on the damn thing, but he didn't let his blocks develop and was like running up the backs of linemen. And I'm like, young fella, you just take a breath. Like you're fast enough. You're going to outrun a lot of guys that have an angle on you. And we saw him do that, man. He got a lot better. He got a lot more patient and then learned how to shift gears. I, I, I thought he, he grew up and then. Uh, yeah. I, with, with blue, I, I was really upset for him um, that he fumbled in the sugar bowl. Yeah. Because besides that, he had a phenomenal game. Um, I thought, unless I'm remembering this entirely no. incorrectly. Okay. No, he did. Because again, I still have only watched it once, and it was at the <laughs> hotel bar in San Antonio. Yeah, so. he had the he had a touchdown. He had a couple big runs. Man, if you remember, um, I want to say I don't remember if it was him or Baxter that had the screen pass called back on a hold early in the game. But Blue had that catch on that last drive to get yeah. him to get him over inside the, the red zone. He had that. He caught that sideline ball kind of over the shoulder from Quinn. I'm like, dude, that was a good ball by Quinn. But that was a hell of a catch by Blue. My running back. Yeah. So it's there. There. See, Coach 420 says Blue, Blue, and CB both about to go over a thousand yards next year. I don't know because you return Quinn and. Uh, I'm guessing Isaiah Bond and Matthew Golden and Silas Bolden didn't come to Texas just to be blocking wide receivers. So you're gonna yeah. you're still gonna throw the ball around. But to your point, man, I, I thought if anybody was going to emerge as a thousand yard back, I didn't have this premonition that Jonathan Brooks was gonna do it. I just felt like he had earned the right to to be that guy, to get the opportunity to be that guy. And he made the most of it, but you know, I I don't know unless there's an injury or one of those guys just just is so much better than the other. I don't know if it's going to matter this year because yeah. it could just be whoever's got the hot hand that day and you might have you might have both those guys go for over 800. You know, you might have both those guys combined for 15 1600. I don't know if you're going to have a thousand yard back, but I know Sark wants that. But I think you can still have a hell of a run game. You could have a top 30 ish run game, not having a thousand yard back. But I'll tell you this too, man, you're going to need that running back depth because that week in, week out grind in the SEC, that position is going to take a punishment. I think running back and off ball linebacker at Texas are going to be the two positions where you're going to need to continually make sure that you've got quality depth there. Because the collisions, those two positions are going to be involved in on a week-in, week-out basis. Uh, it, it's already tough as hell playing Power 5 college football anyway. But going to that league, it's it's going to feel like you're in a damn car wreck every week. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I would honestly really like if, if Texas and I guess Sark uh, kind of adopt what Kyle Shanahan used to do before the 49ers traded for McCaffrey where it was like he had two or three uh, undrafted free agent running yeah. backs that no one had ever heard of. And he would feed the hot hand and he would run three different almost schemes. It was with the three different guys in like yeah. the, the place he would call was vastly different for each guy to guy. Um, and you know, all those dudes ended up turning into great players. Raheem yeah. Moster when he got paid with the dolphins, uh, Jeff Wilson's with the dolphins. Um, also former, uh, Palestinian from Texas, <laughs> uh, East Texas. Um, and like Elijah Mitchell, he was kind of on that yeah. path as well until they traded for Christian McCaffrey. And plus um, he had the, he had the injury too, which didn't help th him that as well. So, 
You know, if Sark wants to do a kind of week-to-week feed the hot hand by committee, I would have no problems with that at all. I also would have no problems if, you know, he wants to be like, okay, Baxter is, you know, that that's our 1,000 guy this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets majority of the carries. I don't have a problem with that. The one thing I do that needs to get fixed, someone's got to figure out what's wrong with CJ's joints and all that stuff about him, like, limping off the field after every run. Like that shit can't fly as a sophomore. Yeah. Else he will never ever be drafted. Ever. I think I think part of that is growing up too. Just yeah. learning. Sometimes mm-hmm. as young players, you got to learn the difference when between when you're hurt or you're injured. You're injured, yeah. If you're hurt, you're gonna have to. Like if you're gonna play football at that level, man. I, uh, there's a reason why a lot of people don't do it. You're gonna have to play through some level of discomfort. You know, yeah. I've heard of guys at Texas that have played with broken bones, played with you know nerve damage and parts of their body like you just sometimes you just got to gut through some stuff i think that's part of growing up that that cj i thought i felt like he did a better job of that as the year went on but i'll tell you too man what what you're what you were talking about and, and sark again he studies that shanahan coaching tree you know mike mcdaniel matt lafleur sean McVay, kyle shanahan that group he studies that that group a lot uh, the one thing I think they can do better, and I think they will do better, and we kind of started to see it at the end of last year, I think now with Paul Christ coming back and having a better idea of between, you know, duo, zone, pin pulls, whatever your run game concepts are, you should have a much better idea now of where blue is better than Baxter or where red might be more successful, what's more conducive to this guy. I think that's just going to naturally allow you just just understanding better what your backs can do. That's going to naturally should naturally allow you to just scheme your run game up a little more diverse. Yeah, yeah, it should. And I mean, you know, returning four alignment is the best possible scenario for, you know, obviously outside of returning five linemen, yeah. um, the best scenario for for CJ and and Jaden Blue and uh, you know. I, I'm, you know, those are obviously going to be the top two guys, right, at running back. But, you know, I'm interested in the the order that comes after that. You know, is Savion yeah. three, is Wisner three, or you know, are any of the freshmen really, really impressing? You know, I'm interested to see what that looks like. Yeah, because you know, I remember in fall camp of last year, uh, C.J. Baxter and Trey Wisner. Whenever I went out to the first and third availability, we're behind walk-ons. Um, mm-hmm. So. You know, interested to see what uh, the order looks like when we get out there in March. I feel like Jarrett Gibson, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, we look at where Jarrett Gibson is in spring ball and then look at him in fall camp. And if he's number three on the depth chart, that wouldn't surprise me because it, CB mentioned he's talking about Selvin Young and, and Mike Shanahan in Denver when he had a different thousand yard backs and go through him. And Mike Anderson, Alandis Gary, Terrell Davis went for. 2000 uh clinton portis was in that scheme too uh you know what what kyle what kyle shanahan's doing now and mcdaniel and mcveigh and lafleur what they're doing now is basically they've taken the the foundation of that old mike shanahan zone run game and they just kind of put different bells and whistles on it with modern concepts and all of those guys have different things that they value different things that they like and they've kind of put their own spin on it. But at the end of the day, man, the best backs for that Shanahan run game 
have been guys that are stick a foot in the ground and get vertical kind of guys that can kind of see it and then boom, plant and, and, and get forward. Jordan, you saw Jared Gibson, man. You said that's pretty much exactly what he is. He's a, a kind of yeah. see it, stick a foot in the ground and then go type guy. Yeah, no, that that's that's what he is. Um, I've never Colin Kennedy, Colin from our Oklahoma twenty four seven site. Uh, he was also at that game with me. Uh, same with Cooper Pategna, who's on our national scouting team. And um, Cooper, he wasn't in in on this conversation, but uh, Jarek had like a sixty. He broke like a sixty or seventy yarder for the first mm-hmm. score of the game, um, and. I remember turning to Colin and we were kind of just talking about the run. And Colin brought up, like, I've never seen a high school running back waste this little movement. And, yeah. um, you know, from the in terms of snap to getting the handoff to crossing the line of scrimmage, he's moving in a straight line and it's literally just going like that. And yeah. <laughs> you can coach that in. I mean, you can coach that at all levels. Um, it's really hard to coach that in high school uh, because, one, to get the kid to listen to you, two, to get him to actually incorporate it, where that's going to be every rep, he's going to be kind of, you know, doing it perfectly without having to think about it. Yeah. That comes in college, and Jared Gibson got that in high school. A big part of it is probably because IMG is effectively a college. Um yeah. But, you know, that's that's a pro of going and getting connections to IMG and recruiting kids at IMGs. They're way more ready than other kids who come out of high school are. Yeah. And, you know, like what you said, I wouldn't be surprised either if we're in fall camp and Jared Gibson is the number three running back on the depth chart. In, in a lot of ways, man, um, I know B. John Robinson is a great player. He's one of the best one of the best I've ever seen with with my eyes. But I, I think, man, <laughs> The more when I think about Texas running backs over the years, for me, just for for what I like in a football player, mm-hmm. Cedric Benson was like the perfect running back. And when you talk about not wasted movement, forward body lean, just the ability to get vertical and just be when you get down to it, man, just a vi- a violent north south runner. That's what Cedric Benson was, man. He he had as Trey, Trey joins us, we're getting ready for train BK. Cedric Benson had good long speed. I wouldn't say he had elite long speed by any stretch. But, you know, the fact that a lot of his long runs came from just getting through that first level, getting through the second level, and there's just nobody behind him because people were stacking the box against him. Um, Cedric Benson, and you talking about Jarek Gibson and his traits, a lot of that just sounds like Cedric Benson. And the more I think about it, Trey, I don't know how you feel about Cedric Benson and the pantheon of Texas running backs, but uh, the late great Cedric Benson, in a lot of ways, man, he was to me. He's kind of the perfect running back. I'm not necessarily the perfect running back, but he's maybe the textbook definition of a workhorse running back. Yeah, a guy that you can pile, and as was happening from high school into college, and I guess to a lesser degree at the NFL level, he's a great running back. Make no mistake about it. Top five running back in this school's history, most likely. I guess there's an argument for uh, some other guys to slip into the top five instead of said. But he was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, he just kept going. And he's one of those guys that even when that initial contact hit, he was yeah. always pushing forward. The guy very rarely took a negative run. Yeah. Uh, or a, a loss on a run, I should say, because he was just always looking for that lane to go forward. He was really good at it too. If I'm a if I'm a running backs coach, like if I'm Tashard Choice, and I want to coach my guys on how to keep your feet moving through contact 
and to maximize runs, I, I pop in some Cedric Benson tape. Yeah, Bucky actually got in trouble. It's funny you mentioned him ripping off the occasional long run because Bucky got, I say, got in trouble. Mac got pissed off at him at one point because he was pointing out Cedric Benson, great running back. He doesn't have the elite speed to break a big run. And then a few weeks later, after there was a big huff about it, Cedric Benson ripped off like a 50-yard run against, I don't know, SFA or somebody like that, UTSA or Rice or something. And Mac was like, see, Cedric Benson can rip off a long run. It's like, all right, Mac, calm down. You know what he means. <laughs> Man, there's the... So, you, Trey, you said he's probably top five. Who else is top five? It's the hell of a discussion. Because Oral and Ricky are already in there. That cuts it to three spots. Benson has got to be in there. He's got to be. That Just cuts it to two. He's a number the, four pick. Based on the total body of work, you're... You're probably right about that. Um, I said that just kind of uh, providing a little bit of a protection for me saying he's a top five running back, but he's a top five running back. I put Bijan in there too. Um, I like it. I know uh, Bijan didn't have uh, the elite stats of some of those other guys, but we saw exactly what Bijan Robinson was as a running back too. Yeah. You yeah. could go a number of different ways with five. Um, for they me, don't got to be in order. I'd have to go old school uh, just just because of the success they had when he was the lead back. I mean, I'd say probably Chris Gilbert from back in the day. If you want to pick a pick a running back off those wishbone teams, I think you've got to have you go Chris Gilbert. You go Jamal Charles, even though I, Jamal Charles best football was played in the NFL, not at Texas. Uh, hell, you go Eric Metcalf if you want to like two guys that I think get lost in the shuffle because, quite frankly, they played on terrible teams. Eric Metcalf and Deontay Foreman. Look at what they did, insane highlights, and Deontay's got numbers, but it, unless you watch them in their time, nobody really talks about them because the product on the field was awful. No, Deontay has shown, uh, Foreman has shown just how good he is with his staying power in the NFL, too. You're yeah. not, you don't get, get to be that good as a running back and just kind of leisurely stick around in a league that is all about throwing running backs to the trash heap as soon as, as, soon as they show any sign of, of wear and tear. Yeah. BK, you got any thoughts on this Texas running back pecking order? Since you do a show in the mornings with a guy who coached that position. Yeah, Bucky would tell you that five guys that he coached belong in the top five running backs in Texas history. And McGarrity's got to be in there somehow. Adrian Walker, Phil yeah. Brown. Mm -hmm. And then he throw in a Boston College guy in there. It's like, dude, that doesn't count. Uh, you got to put Malcolm Brown in there because he played running back and D-tackle and was a first-round pick. So. <laughs> He belongs in the top five. You know, we had the fridge. Well, I guess that was after the fridge existed, but we had college fridge. It's very impressive that he was able to do both of those things. He was a shapeshifter too, not like Devondre Sweat lining up back there. He looks like a running back somehow when he went to the offensive side of the ball. So yeah. You had the T1000 on your roster and you still were like a six-win team. That's just, <laughs> if there's an indictment against Charlie Strong, it's that. Yeah, he, he messed up. In a lot of ways. You had the T-1000, you had a losing record? What the hell is that? Oh, Should have been like that a where you're just kill, literally killing people on your way to the end zone. He had right. the T-1000, he also had his five core values. All right, that's, that's time for me to go. Or, uh, yeah. Your PTSD coming up again? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, Trey, BK, have a good show, guys. See ya. Have a good day, guys.